Welcome to this podcast on digital responsibility. There's a vibrant community across the world at the moment driving forward corporate digital responsibility, which includes a range of aspects from digital ethics, digital for the environment, sustainability, digital well-being, inclusion, accessibility, and more. My name is Rob Price, one of the founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility back in 2017. If you'd like to know more, have a look at the website corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. Welcome to the fifth episode tonight of season four of the Digital Responsibility podcast. And tonight I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Zemit Lucia. I think tonight we're going to talk about a number of things, but very much embedded in that relationship between business, politics and and tech. Um, Perhaps you'd like to start by introducing both yourself and, and perhaps some of the things that you've been doing recently. Yes, well, thank you, Rob. Thanks for asking me along. Um, I look forward to this conversation. So I've had a very varied background, having trained originally as a doctor, but then moved into business. I've had a background in multinational business. Then I had my own business, which was a management consulting business. Um, And then I sold that business and decided that, you know, there were two big things that drove the world. One was business and the other was politics and policy. And I knew a little bit about business, having spent most of my life in that, and then decided to get into the political world to understand that angle. Um, <clears throat> so I got into that and learned about it. And then I set up a public policy think tank uh, in London uh, with a branch now in Amsterdam, which is focused on the relationship between business, politics and society. And my personal interest is exactly that interface, the interface between business politics and policy, and uh, how we organise our society. I remember, I think, the first time that we ever met was um, through the MCA's Year of Digital, where recognising the influence that digital and digital transformation was having both on governments and, indeed, business at that time, and kind of since we've seen clearly in terms of more societal impact through, uh, well, various uh, things, whether we're talking about Brexit or uh, elections or... Uh, Arab Spring or otherwise. So digital kind of for me is the third thing that's to, to that to that triangle, or now triangle, business, politics, uh, and technology or, or digital. And of course, you've brought that to life very recently for us all uh, with your recent book. Um, so perhaps it would be kind of good to share, but, but both in terms of what prompted you to write the book, the experience of it, and share the core focus of it. Thank you. So the book is called The New Political Capitalism. And um, what what stimulated me is that when I was in business and and indeed for a long time after, I used to speak to uh, many people in business who took the attitude, you know, I'm in business that's separate from politics. Please keep politics out of it so I can get on with the business of business. Um, In fact, only this week, Uh, I saw some post on LinkedIn, somebody saying, keep politics out of tech. Um, And this always struck me as a bit of a nonsense. Um, So I thought, and the the relationship between business and politics is very complicated, and there are multiple facets to it. So I thought I'd start looking into that and start exploring it. Um, And 
and that's what led me eventually to write the book but the proximate stimulus for for getting down and writing it too actually one of them was the fact that we we're locked in by covid so writing a book seemed like a good thing to do <laughs> but uh but the, there was, I was having a discussion with a, a chairman of a multinational company who said that he'd just come from a breakfast meeting with a bunch of other chairs like him. And he said, you know, we all, dis, we all sort of agreed that we don't really understand political logic. Um, and, and, you know, that it's very different from business logic. Um, and of course that is true. So I set out to explore those differences, hoping that um, I could lay out why political logic was so different from business logic, but that doesn't make it illegitimate, um, and that it would help uh, to understand it more, and how businesses can thrive in this new era we're entering, where political issues are becoming overwhelming. You know, we've, we've had a period of time where the Overton window, as it were, of political ideas was really pretty narrow. Um, so the commercial and economic side kind of took over. Now we've got a battle for political ideas that is broad and global. Um, and it's starting to affect businesses more and more and more. So how can you be successful as a business in this new environment. I think I definitely that you should use the word environment, of course. Um, but the other key aspects of driving change very much firmly around um, environment and planet and climate change and thinking about how um, organizations need to change uh, to better address some of the kind of challenges in that space. Of course, uh, when you talk about the uh, relationship between business and politics, and and indeed, I remember in 2016 standing in Paris and being told that I wasn't supposed to be talking about um, politics and technology in the same sentence. So uh, that that's very reminiscent for me for the start of uh, the CDR piece. But uh, I mean, I I know and I, I've read the book. Um, so congratulations. And, and of course, I should say uh, thank you for the uh, reference at the back of the book to uh, the paper that Karen and I uh, produced last year on on digital society. Um, but but it resonates in so many places with the conversations that I have with a digital responsibility hat. So it's not about technology, or it's I mean it's it, it's loosely about the impact of living in a world driven by more technology. It's but but the issues that we're trying to talk about and face in digital responsibility, organisations or otherwise, um, there, were, there were lots of synergies. What's been the reaction to the book? And I'm interested specifically in terms of what do those in, in politics say as a response versus what those in business might say as a response versus even those of us in the digital domain? So, so the reaction obviously has been mixed because people there you know people in all these uh, there are different people with different backgrounds um <clears throat> i think that the general reaction has been that this is something that one needs to think about that it's kind of i think the general reaction has been this is capturing the zeitgeist it's something that is um that is of the moment that we have to think about um for some, of course, this is very uncomfortable thing to think about, because it's very different, you know, for those of us of my generation who are brought up 
uh, in the 80s and 90s of kind of laissez-faire neoliberal ideas where just let the markets get on with everything and who are used to operating in that environment, this is all very uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, when we meet uncomfortable ideas, we kind of, you know, either embrace them and try to try to find out whether they apply to us and how, or we close our eyes and, and carry on and say, well, you know, okay, this may be coming, but hopefully it'll come after my tenure is over. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, reactions have been mixed, but I think in general, um, the reactions have been very positive and have maybe helped people put some structure to what they felt was a newly chaotic world that's surrounding them. And, and I think the thing for me is, is just that point. There are more people, hopefully, who do read it, who think, actually, I need to think more about what the consequences of that are for them in whatever capacity they they, they uh, are operating. And I, I remember in the early days of CDR and digital responsibility, having just that same reaction um, at, at a conference. It was, well, that's all very interesting, Rob. But we'll we'll worry about that a little later, kind of when 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 it's important, kind of not yes. not now. But I think the thing that I'm seeing time and time again is there are far more people who who recognise the need for change, um, whether whether from a political or a business um, or a technology angle. Um, there seems to be more of a coalition, if you like, forming. And whether that's the conversations I've had through uh, David Jensen at the UN in terms of the work they're doing with CODES and the Coalition for Digital Environmental Sustainability or uh, recent guests uh, around Identity Valley in Germany and the work they're doing with Digital Responsibility Goals and uh, the European Commission. The, 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 the book that I was reading and conversation from last week, um, Paul Pullman and, and the work that he'd been doing at, at Unilever. It, it, it's more and more people seem to be recognising the need for change. The problem is that it's a new model and there isn't a book that says this is how the new model must work, how you continue to make money in that model, how you work effectively in government in that model. And, and I, I, I hope that the discomfort, if you like, with reading things like your book is is actually it's hard and therefore it's important to trigger those conversations and to trigger that change to create more positive impacts. Um, I'd, certainly kind of when we spoke, I don't know, a year and a half ago and you said, well, that, Rob, that CDR thing's interesting, but but what's the public policy angle on CDR and, and how do you think about it in those terms. I mean, as I've said, that was a different, I'm a technologist. That's a different language for me to think about. Um, so I, I guess my next question then would be to say, um, how do you think big tech would read your book and think about that relationship between business and policy and politics in the context of the things that they do and the things that they are seen, the impact that they are seen to have? So, yeah, that's a very good question. And, you know, we talk about tech and technology, um, <clears throat> but in fact, what we're talking about here is digital technology, because technology has always been around and technology has always been political. I mean, the people who won wars were the people who had the better technology. It was always so. <laughs> um, and we're seeing now with cyber warfare, 
it's, it's the same. Uh, but now we're in a world where digital technology has essentially transformed the world. So I'd like to start by, by saying what I, how I define politics, because you know, one of the problems is that as soon as you mention the world politics, people kind of squirm and, 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 and get a, a degree of aversion. Uh, because they think it's party politics and they think it's the dirty electoral process or this shady lobbying and that's all they associate with politics. But my definition of politics for the purpose of this discussion is the mechanism by which we decide what kind of society we want to live in. That is what politics is about. Now in a democracy, we do it a certain way. In an autocracy, somebody says, this is how it's gonna be. Uh, but essentially, politics is the mechanism by which collectively we can decide what sort of society we want to live in. Now, it would take a particularly blind person to believe that technology and digital technology has no impact on the sort of society in which we live. You know, it has a huge impact from how many people we can employ as they get uh, made redundant because of technology, to AI algorithms that make decisions for us, um, through to social media that create a totally different socio-cultural atmosphere in which we have discussions. So technology has a huge impact on the sort of society we live in. And therefore, it is highly political because the sort of society we live in is a political question. Um, now, you say, how should the big tech companies react to this? And, you know, when I talk about Facebook, now meta, but it was Facebook when I was writing the book, because it takes a long time to publish these things. Um, you know, I made the statement, Facebook is not a technology company anymore. Facebook is a political organization. The way the world looks at Facebook now is for its political impact, for its impact on how our society and our culture is evolving. The technology side of Facebook is neither here nor there. It's, you know, it's basically, you know, code that's doing certain things. It's the enabling process. So the technology is not important. You know, it's, it's basically what makes Facebook and other companies work. But, but the importance of these companies is not their technology, but the impact of their technology on our society. And that is a purely political question. Which of course brings us perfectly back to that point of the mentioning politics and technology, digital technology, as you rightly say, in the same sentence. And, and the fact that they are, of course, increasingly entwined. It's not that many years ago that we watched um, Mark Zuckerberg and, and uh, various US politicians um, try and speak a common language, if you like, in, in understanding um, the relationship between what Facebook was doing as a technology or as a political company uh, and, and society, as, as you say. Um, and I think one of the things for me in that was to just recognize that the, the, the difficulty in finding a common language, the difficulty in finding common experience. Um, one of the things that I often used to talk about from a um, advisory consulting perspective with social media was that unless you unless you understood 
the impact of the social media tools through personal experience. It was quite difficult to actually advise what you should or should not do with those tools. So language, commonality and experience seem to me quite important. What do we need to do differently in, in this space to find a better common language and a better uh, certainly in the context in the context of then delivering regulation or policy that's finding some sort of balanced ground to create positive outcomes where people can benefit where organizations can make money and where governments can be seen to be doing um uh, supporting or, or or positive actions in terms of the society that they've interact with rather than be seen as um, overtly onerous or, or or bureaucratic or however else it might be perceived so so i think that the onus for change in order to be able to get to a better place and find more of a common language that i i would say 80 to 90 percent of the onus on change lies with business so <clears throat> we all look at the world through our own lenses. So if you're a technologist, then you look at the world through a technology lens and you get excited by the technology. If you are a chief financial officer, you look at your business through the lens of delivering your quarterly earnings, through the lens of what Wall Street and the city think about you. But these are secondary issues. <laughs> The primary, you know, the primary issue should be quite different. So what is a business is the fundamental question. And a friend of mine, uh, who used to be professor of marketing at Stanford, uh, came up with this idea that business is a value delivery system. So the question is, what value are you delivering to your customers and to society as a whole? That is the first question that every business should be asking itself. Not the last question, the first question. Um, and then you think, okay, how am I going to deliver that value? And how am I going to make money delivering that value? Um, but in fact, we ask the questions, a lot of businesses ask the questions the other way around. They say, what technology do I have in order to deliver something? How am I going to make money out of my business? And what do I need to deliver to do that? Whereas we should start from the other way, from, from the other side. What value am I providing to the world and to my customers? Unless that is the first question, then business goes down a lot of blind alleys. Uh, and we've stopped asking that question um, because you know, through the age of financialized capitalism that we're just emerging from, people got the notion that business is there to make money, that that's the purpose of business. But that's not the purpose of business. That is a consequence of delivering value profitably. So for technology companies and management, senior management technology, they need to stand back from the excitement of the technology from the focus on stock prices and, and, and making, making their quarterly earnings. They need to step a little bit back from that and think of the bigger picture. What value am I adding to society? What value am I adding to my customers? 
That should be the very first question. And then, of course, you have to do that profitably, and you might use technology tools in order to do that. But those are tools and consequences. They're not the purpose. And I love the use of purpose, and purpose ties in very well, of course, with the first principle of the uh, CDR manifesto. If we were thinking about an organisation make making significantly increased use of technology, then a lot of the focus over the last few years has been understandably around AI. Um, you mentioned it earlier, so um, uh, thinking about how data is used, how decisions are uh, informed and made and automated. Um, and there's been lots of conversations around appropriate and ethical use of AI and uh, responsible AI and non-biased AI, etc. Um, I, I think one of the things that we've always talked about is that it's not just AI. AI is an example um, and, and, and an important example, but digital ethics and, and appropriate use of digital technologies in the round needs to be broader than that. Um, and, I, and I think you, I mean, you mentioned earlier that Facebook becoming meta, let's abstract it from a particular business and just kind of use the metaverse to, to illustrate. I mean, for me, that's another example of a use of a technology or a set of digital technologies, um, in this case, to create um, a different experience, virtual experiences that uh, more immersive than perhaps kind of people have experienced to date. Of course, some people will see it as normal. Some people will be terrified of it. Some people will have experienced it. Some people will not. But if we think about behaviors or rules or how do we minimize harm in those environments using those technologies, who's responsible for that? Is, is that the business that's introducing it? Is it the government or politics or policy that governs the society that contains the citizens that could be using it? Is it all of them? But who does it? So, so this is a very interesting question because, you know, I'm not a, not a technology person. So my knowledge of the metaverse concept is very thin. <clears throat> I would say almost non-existent. So I'm speak as a lay person here about what I understand by the metaverse. So my understanding, simple summary of the metaverse is that it's the creation of a virtual world, the creation of you know, something that, that is similar to the world we live in, but it's virtual. Um, so that's where I'm going to start as, as defining it. Now, the first question <clears throat> is why? What is the value to our societies and to customers? And what is the value of the metaverse that people are trying to create? How is the metaverse going to make people's lives better? I haven't seen an answer to that question. I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of answers to how we can make money out of the metaverse, but I haven't yet seen, and that's big, maybe because I'm, I'm not in this field, I haven't yet seen how is the metaverse going to make our lives better? In what way? Is, is this entertainment? You know, what is it? I don't know. But I think that's the first question we have to ask. <clears throat> the second question is, <clears throat> let us assume that the metaverse is a virtual reproduction of a society, of, of a world. Well, societies are very complicated things. <laughs> um, 
So if we're reproducing our society virtually, it'll have both the advantages and the disadvantages of our society. So it'll have criminals in it. Um, it'll have people who behave inappropriately in it. Um, it'll have all sorts of things in it. So <clears throat> if it is a society, then it needs some kind of law and order function, you know, because you know, our societies need a law and order function. Now, technology companies haven't a clue, I assume, of how to run a law and order function. They don't run police forces, they don't run the FBI, you know, they don't run anything. So, so who's going to put in a law and order function into the metaverse? Certainly technology companies don't know how to do it. Um, governments know how to do that, um, but governments don't understand the technology. They don't understand what's coming, what's coming at them. Um, so in my view, this has to be a collaborative effort. We can't have what happened in social media where the tech ran away and then you have regulators, public policy trying to catch up in an impossibility. I think if that happens with the metaverse, it might well be pretty disastrous. So I think we need a collaborative effort where it is the joint responsibility of technology companies to collaborate with those who know about law and order to create a society in this metaverse that is as safe as we can make it. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that the political system and the government system move slowly and bureaucratically, uh, and companies don't want to wait for that. But it would be irresponsible not to wait for that. So I think there needs to be some kind of some kind of deal which says, okay, you guys slow down a little bit. We will come and help you as government, but these discussions have to be conducted in good faith. You know, we'll try and do it as quickly as we can. We, we'll try and circumvent our endless bureaucracy, but you need to slow down as well. Now, frankly, I don't see this happening <laughs> because there just isn't that kind of conversation at the moment between technology companies and governments. It's pretty adversarial. Uh, but I think unless we move somewhat in that direction, um, I don't know what's going to happen with something like the metaverse. So I think I, I am a technologist and I, I'm also a lifetime gamer, although I tend to not necessarily always share that, but it's relevant in this conversation. So I remember 20 years ago playing the early massive online games, uh, World of Warcraft, EverQuest, uh, and meeting and interacting with people all over the world. And you took on a persona. Um, and that persona was almost who you wanted to be. And okay, you might have been running around killing um, uh, ogres or trolls or whatever kind of fantastical beast you were you were facing. But but it was that first experience of uh, massive online games. I, I remember ten years ago um, writing a couple of uh, blog articles. One of which was talking about watching the sunset uh, in a in a game that I was playing because it was such a visual experience that and and some people listening might think i'm slightly mad at this point but but it th this was a recognition that actually the 
the level of technology had got to creating a virtual representation of a, a full world environment all by it on my TV screen that had an emotional response as an impact. Um, I equally remember writing an article about my future office being a virtual kind of environment that I can I can meet somebody sat on the side of the Grand Canyon and have a chat and a, a sandwich at the, just before diving off to another meeting in Paris without, of course, leaving my room, which would be probably what it's been as an experience for the last two years uh, in the pandemic where we've not been able to travel or indeed the future where perhaps we need to travel less from an environmental point of view. So the experience of other things. I guess my point is to some extent it's an extension. The metaverse is an extension of those things that we have been doing in part, some of us, for the past 20 years, all by it more immersive because kind of it's a it's a 360 full visualization and immersive experience. Um, I think you make uh, an extremely um, time is the thing for me. I don't understand how people can accelerate the process by which we can gain um, movements in the right direction to minimise harms. Because, as you say, there is there is the there, there, there has been a degree of law and order. Moderation has existed within those type of environments to ensure that people don't do things but of course there's always some things that do happen there are always elements um, that you need to stay ahead of I, I guess in that context of time um, and awareness um, I talk quite a bit about regulation and ethical guidance and policies and the complexity of organizations finding a path when you have different governments doing different things in different geographies H how do you keep current how do you know to be consistent with uh, UK GDPR versus EU GDPR versus kind of whatever other data policies you've got in Singapore or China or the US or wherever else in the world. Um, it seems to me that in a metaverse, you need more global coherence and collaboration around how you might govern, how you might set those standards. If you were to pick one or two things that would be an obvious first step for organizations to think about whether they be government whether they be big tech where might we start what could we hope for as a sensible kind of step that 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 people could see as logical and in need of doing so so let me pick up on on some of the things you said about gaming um because to my mind gaming was a much more controlled environment there were limits to what could be done or could not be done uh, my understanding of the metaverse is that it's very different to that uh, and that the, the limits, uh, you know, it's much broader. So we're already hearing stories of sexual harassment. We're already hearing stories last week on the BBC of, um, you know, a 12-year-old girl being invited into, this, into a strip club in, in the metaverse, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is quite, this seems to me as a non-technology person, uh, quite a different thing from gaming. Uh, that's that's the first question. Um, the second issue is that is that the reason we have this fragmentation is because of that you describe that that companies don't like because they have to you know is because it's chaos. You know the the social media world and and the digital world has run away. You know the horse has bolted, 
And now we have governments around the world trying to catch up and trying to lasso this horse in very many different ways. Um, <clears throat> and that's why we have this chaos and this fragmentation. So, so if we're not to repeat that, um, we have to have this collaborative approach. You know, somebody, somewhere, and it has to come from the, from the companies, has to say, hang on a minute, let's work this out together, because this could be something great, or it could be something highly dystopic. Um, but if the tech companies get carried away with the technology and you know, start running as fast as possible and leave governments in various places to catch up, we'll get the same type of chaos that we have now, only it could be a lot worse. Because mod from what I hear, you know, moderation uh, capabilities on the metaverse are going to be even more difficult to establish than they are on social media. And Lord knows they're difficult enough on social media and almost impossible. So, so we can't go down the same route. Uh, we can't create the same chaos. But it is in the hands of the technology companies. If they run, hoping nobody will catch them, if they believe that every bit of regulation is there so that they can find a way around it, um, which is always easy to do, um, then we're not going to get anywhere. If, on the other hand, they take the view, we have a responsibility here. You know, we, have to, you know, we can't put technologies in the world that damage uh, more than they do good. Um, we don't have all the expertise. You know, Facebook has been saying for years, it's not up to us to decide what's right and wrong. You know, governments have to regulate. But the thing has gone too far for governments to regulate effectively. So we can't let the same thing happen. This has to be a collaborative approach. It's got to slow down. Um, and we have to establish some framework whereby we have a good faith conversation between all the parties involved. The reality is that that's never been done before. So, you know, unfortunately, the likelihood of it happening seems relatively small. But we do have companies like Microsoft in this space. We do have companies like Meta in this space. They're big enough and should be responsible enough that they can take control of this and guide it forward. Because the little companies are not going to make enough difference if the big companies do it a different way. So, so I think it's up to them. It's up to the CEOs and their public affairs people in the, in the Microsofts, the Metas, the Googles of this world to step forward and say, we're not gonna have the same problems that we had with, with social media. This time we're gonna approach it in a fundamentally different way because we understand that there are lots of pitfalls here. But I wait for it to happen. And I think for me, my hope is that because more and more people are talking about digital responsibility, and I don't care kind of whether it's tech for good, which is clearly kind of some of the great work that Microsoft have kind of been in the midst of, uh, or corporate digital responsibility, or the digital responsibility goals, or the UN work around codes, each of them at their heart is trying to focus on 
what are the things that we each need to do to create more positive outcomes and less harm. And if we can get more people thinking about that in the context of their organisations and their policies, uh, then that seems to be the best hope of finding that collaborative space in the future. Yes, I think so. Um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, governments can't do this on their own. Tech companies can't do this on their own. It has to be collaborative um, and it has to start now. Joe, thank you. It's been a pleasure as always to talk. I'm sure everyone will be rushing out to buy the book, which covers some of the things that we've talked on about here. And maybe there's an idea for the follow-up book, plugging into some of these broader issues we've touched on around digital and tech. Uh, but thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Rob.